You're listening to the Grossed Out Podcast with Rob Gross. It's me. I'm Rob Gross. Welcome to the Grossed Out Podcast. I am your host, Rob Gross. Today, I am joined by a friend, uh, ex-coworker, maybe one day future co-worker, all-around great Canadian hero man, Ian Stanger. And today, we are talking about what band, my friend? Today, we are talking about Silverchair. Hell yeah, we're talking about Silverchair. And I am super excited to talk about this band because it's one of those bands that I think you you almost kind of forget about in the, you know, in the nineties capsule, you know, canon, but then you go back to these records and they're just so good. So let me just give you a brief intro on Ian. He is the co-conspirator at the Toronto based label and management company, Black Box and frontman of the occasionally active, slightly more than semi-retired punk rock band, the fucking awesome full blast Ian Stanger. Welcome to the grossed out podcast. Thanks buddy. Nice to see you. Nice to see you too, man. I am, um, one, I'm excited to see your face and to see where our pandemic looks have taken us. Mine involves a ponytail. Yeah, mine is not quite there yet, but we're getting there. <laughs> yeah, actually, I got it. Yeah. Yeah, you are, you're getting there. Well, just, I'm, yeah. I'm a, uh, I, I'm, this, this, this won't air until after this happens, but I'm going to go get a haircut tomorrow. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a speakeasy haircut because everything's locked down here in Toronto. Oh. Um, and so my, my, my goal is to show up on my morning call looking like this scruffy, like old disheveled person that I've looked like for the last six months. And then I'm going to show up on a call later in the afternoon as like clean cut lines, like beard trimmed up, like just, you know, and blow everybody's mind. Cause there's actually a, it's been, it's been a crazy pandemic. We've actually, you know, had a bunch of new staff come in and you know, some people we've never even met in real life. And oh, some people that have never, so never seen weird. me not look like a crazy man. So <laughs> here we are. That's it, right? It's like um, when we started the pandemic. So I, I record this, obviously, as you can see in this lovely closet with our Pearl Jam tour posters up and the sound is good because it's a very you know tiny little space. This is where I started the pandemic when we all thought that we'd be out of here and, you know, we, we didn't have an end, you know, an end goal. I remember like four days in, I posted a photo. I'm like, he grows hangry and tired. And it's like, <sighs> before yeah. time, Rob was an idiot. And, yeah. You know, um, what's funny is like I, I, following you on Instagram um, has been helpful. I mean, it's always entertaining, but it's been helpful mm -hmm. because, um, you know, you were keeping that count on your Instagram stories. And like, I wasn't keeping count myself, but if I needed to know, I knew I could go to Rob's story and find out which day of lockdown we were in. We were no, in. I, you're, you gotta be like the 30th or 40th person to tell me this. And I, and I, what I would do is I, I would miss a day. I would miss a day from walking. I'd be too busy or tired or whatever. And I would get DMs or texts like, I am lost today. Today, <laughs> I don't know. Okay? Where, are yeah. you okay? And then when I got to 365, I'm like, man, fuck this. I cannot do this a single day more. And, and yeah. then I got angry DMs. Like, I don't know where I yeah. am. I don't. And my wife had a better one. She has like, we have a chalkboard door to our kitchen and she does the old prison uh, uh, slashes. Yeah. So yeah. it was just, yeah, I can't believe you guys, I mean, you guys are still in lockdown. And it's like, I went to Nashville about a month and a half ago. And wow, if you had any anxiety about going out, you just yeah. get thrown right in the fire and get that shit yeah. all out of your system. Yeah, it's been, it's been sort of crazy, to be honest. It's been crazy to watch how, you know, poorly the US managed the pandemic throughout, but yeah. then how quickly, you know, as the you know industrialized society you are <laughs> with the <laughs> with the manufacturing capacity you have how quickly right. you can sort of you can sort of dig your way out of a problem mm -hmm. uh in canada i think we actually managed it relatively well for the first little bit here um and then you know like 
the vaccine stuff has taken way longer. And I think there's been some some missteps by politicians in the last couple of months that have really sort of extended this longer than it needs to, unfortunately. But I mean, here we are. Yeah. here. I mean, look, in California, we were the we were the hotspot. And then now Mm -hmm. it's something like I might be misquoting, but I think I'm, I'm pretty close. It's that half the state has a, half the state is vaccinated, which is basically 10 million more than the population of Canada. And mm-hmm. of, of the remaining half, half of that has at least one shot. Yeah. So yeah. that's pretty good. And, and New York yeah. is open. You know, New York was, 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 you know, trucking bodies out to, you know, unmarked graves a year I know, ago. I know. And they're, and they're wide, they're open again. So yeah, I'm, I'm going in a few Crazy. weeks. So that was my last trip was the, when I saw you. That was my last yeah. trip. That was February of 2020 to New York. Brooklyn and with, with JJ Wild. Yeah. yeah. With JJ Wild. And then uh, that was it. That was the end. And um, so it's going to be really exciting to go back with this new business venture and see human beings. And, you know, I, it's just, it, it sucks. We, we always do a dinner every, uh, a lot of these people I've actually been on the podcast already, but we always, next time we can figure out a New York trip, you have to come. My buddy, sure. Chris, and, my buddy, Chris Enriquez, who did the, the um, quicksand episode, he host a dinner it's called the rob gross extravaganza and i didn't name this it happens every time i come to town so we're like at number seven even though it's only been like a four-year thing and um the restaurant we do it at is closed due to the pandemic so kind of a bummer it's a bummer yeah we'll we'll power on for volume seven come come june nice Uh, i'll await the invite Dude, for number eight, you're in. You're in. <laughs> so let's fucking talk silver chair. So tell me, it's always interesting because I think you and Jason, your partner as well, have always. It was always like a. It was a pleasant surprise because we were working together, and we were working on the Glorious Sons in particular. A lot of that band, a lot of the fandom in Canada, especially, but like the past shit that you were doing, like the passport, it, it, it was so Pearl Jam like, and of that era. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that as like the highest compliment, you know, coming from me, that's like the highest compliment I can yeah, give. Yeah. So when I realized we had so many similar musical tastes and then you came at me, like, I want to talk about silver chair. That's just so intriguing to me because to me, that was one of the bands that I loved what I loved, but I think it flew a little bit under for me. And now sure. coming back to those records, it's like, Oh my God, there are some absolute gems on these records so tell me how did your fandom start how did you discover the band what what got you to want to talk about this on the podcast i think um they were a band i guess like i'm I'm, i was born in 1982 i'm 30 something years old 30 almost 40 something years old um and so i was at the like sort of the tail end of the like like i was probably the youngest person in the world that bought pearl jam 10 you know, like I was, I was definitely on like the younger side of yeah, that, yeah. like of, of that arc. And Pro Gen 10 was, was the first record I ever bought. Um, but like that and like Nirvana, like I was, I, I was very much like a, a grunge rock Seattle, you know, like grew sort of developed into like, you know, sort of Weezer Green Day, like that mm-hmm. kind of, you know, era of stuff. And so I was, I always loved rock. I, you know, loved the sort of, you know, the edgier, you know, grunge kind of stuff. Um, but it then, when I, I saw like I saw this band and they were my age and they were doing shit that you know I like I could see I think for the first time I could sort of it wasn't like grown men doing this and I was really I was enjoying it it was like oh shit like I, I like I could see myself doing this right, you know like right. like I can see myself in this and you know it, like really encouraged me to 
pick up a guitar and and pick up a bass and, and and play drums it was the first you know frog stomp was the first record that like i can remember jamming with my friends you know like prior uh, to ever being serious about a band sense. or anything like that yeah and you know they taught me what drop d was it was like <laughs> like for all of you know i mean you could say this about you know the stones or or, or the beatles or whatever like like the best stuff is simple you know oh, yeah. and and i and i think that there's a simplicity to silver chair at least early on mm-hmm. that really appealed to me as like a 13 14 15 year old kid picking up the guitar or the drumsticks for the first time because i could like play along with it and i was i wasn't playing well but it was like it was something that i could sort of wrap my head around and it was sort of amazing to me and it remains amazing to me that like kids that were like 16 17 years old were writing these songs and as and as you sort Mm -hmm. of work through the silver chair discography and like admittedly like after diorama i sort of like tail off a little bit because my, my musical taste started to change but you can sort of follow you see where, where daniel johns landed as a songwriter and you can sort of see you can you can you can trace the development through all those songs and through the, the experimentation and through the different things it wasn't just israel's son and screaming as loud as you could and pounding the drums there was more to it and there was yeah. melody to it and all those kinds of things so that was like i mean i know it's a long-winded answer but like that is sort of that's what like i could see myself in it it was simple enough that i could participate in it and there was a real energy around it um in a way that like other bands in that era uh, that sort of led me there um I, like sort of left me behind a little bit no man that's awesome that's that that's that's the answer i kind of I, I wanted you to give but I, I didn't expect at the same time it's like you're talking about the that level of connection when you're that age that's what i was thinking too because i'm two years older than you and i remember watching this and being like oh my God, like these kids are keeping up with the bands that I'm obsessing over. Exactly. I don't don't think for me, I connected with them at that level until Neon Ballroom. I think Mm -hmm. that to your point, you know, your taste changes. It's almost like when you're younger, if you're, if you're, if you're 16, you're dating someone that's 15. It's like, oh my God, you're dating a younger girl. But when you're like 60 and you're dating someone that's 50, it's, there's no difference. So I think as you get older, your, the gap just doesn't matter anymore. And I think that by the time neon ballroom came out i was mature enough i was 19 or my taste mm-hmm. had kind of gone you know i was finally getting into the beatles i was a, I, I was late with, with, to that band it yeah. just i was a metal and yeah. hardcore kid you know yeah. and um so those first two records now coming back to them like today to listen yeah. to them again to talk to you i'm like i listen to it through completely a completely different mindset and set of years where it's like holy shit when i was in bands at this age we were fucking terrible and now yeah. these dudes we're touring the world, keeping up with bands that were twice their age. And probably by the time I'd say Frog Song came out, running circles around half of them. Oh, totally. Yeah. And like, yeah. The, and, and to your point, the, the development between the first three records, it's just like, you can't jump. You can't go from Frog Stomp to Neon Ballroom without, ha- or, or from, from, uh, we, we, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm losing yeah. my mind here. You know what I'm saying? First one to three, you got to have yeah. two like, totally different bands. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And, 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 and beyond, like, as you move through that into diorama and into, um, uh, oh, I can't remember the one that came in 2007 and with straight lines uh, on it. Yeah. <clears throat> Young modern. Young modern. Um, thank you. You know, and, and the, and the, uh, you know, the side projects that came along with that, like, you know, you can, you can really see, you know, and then eventually into the Daniels own sort of, um, solo records, which I'm yeah. honestly not super, super familiar with, but like the pieces that I've heard, you can sort of, 
you can again trace that lineage and trace that like that development which is you know as somebody who who like works with bands and and tries to plot out you know multi-year career development and understanding how you know can't really can't make the same record twice uh mm-hmm. you know like seeing the way that a band like that developed was uh you know i don't know if it's just sort of me looking back with the what i know now and sort of applying that but you know it definitely felt um evo- like there was an evolution with each record as, yeah. as, was, as we were going through it i think that it was like it was also interesting that like I felt, you know, this is sort of going back to what I'd said earlier, where it's like, you know, as a Pearl Jam fan, I was a really young Pearl Jam fan in the in the, mm-hmm. in the spectrum of, of Pearl Jam fans. Um, in like, I was like right in the wheelhouse of Silverchair fans. Like that yeah. felt like a, a generational thing where like my friends were all into, we were into it from the first record. The first record spoke to us in a, in a certain type of way. Then, you know, you move on to uh, to Freak Show, the second record. Mm-hmm. And it, and like, we had all sort of, we're two years older. You know, we're now in grade 11 instead of grade nine. Right, right. Um, you know, and then, you know, ultimately to Neon Ballroom, which I do think is like the best sort of iteration of what Silverchair is. Yeah. Um, you know, like we're sort of maturing along with them, you know, like, and and that was, uh, yeah, I think like it, it, I felt like sort of part of it in a way that I didn't for Pearl yeah. Jam. I didn't for you know, for Foo Fighters or Rage Against the Machine, all, you know, amazing bands, but it's just like, this was something that felt contemporary. It's, I, I've mentioned it before, and I, it, it, I love that you said that, because there's, I always think of, I guess for me, the version of that band would be Thrice or maybe Caven, because we're mm-hmm. all contemporaries, and I feel that we all grew the same way like, just as you're describing with Silverchair, that it's like mm-hmm. every time they made, a, they made a left turn, well, it had been 18 months or two years now. I'm, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm, totally. And I think it's, it's funny, sort of the way you sort of talked about how you sort of came to the Beatles later because you were a hardcore kid earlier. I was actually sort of maybe a bit of a flip. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I was into, you know, rock, modern, modern rock, alternative grunge. And then sort of in like, you know, like mid to late teens really started to get more into the punk rock, hardcore stuff that really sort of, you know, gave me a direction to where I sort of landed up. Um, sure. But yeah, I think that it's... Uh, you know, I, I think I've, I've I experienced, I think my experience with Silverchair and that sort of like um, that evolutionary thing that I just explained is something that I really um, valued in uh, that punk rock world that I sort of eventually you know, immersed myself in, whether that's, you know, growing with Saves the Day or growing with, you know, like, like, like bands that I was sort of there from the beginning with mm-hmm. and sort of, you know, matured and grew with through, you know, late, tw- early 20s, mid 20s, late 20s kind of thing. Those are all formative years, you know, it's, 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 it's sort of crazy. And to think that, um, you know, there's artists that are there with you the whole way through that are sort of contemporary in terms of age, uh, contemporary in terms of experience, not just like personal experience, but world experience, life experience. It's all, yeah. uh, yeah. Well, and can you imagine too being 16, 17 years old? I mean, like you barely know how to wipe your own ass. And now you're being carted across the globe to play oh, yeah. the, to play these shows. And like at that time, I think it's not to sound old, but I think it might be lost, not to anybody's fault. But I think because of where how MTV is non-existent now, what it meant to be part of that like ecosystem for lack of a better term at that time they were on tv every hour like it would like but there was if it wasn't tomorrow israel's son or pyramid like there was just they were massive and i think for those yeah. first two records specifically it was non-stop silver chair so i can't even imagine what that would be like today with the access to social media and you know 
mental health and what it would do to have children be put mm-hmm. on that pedestal and what the backlash would be because the music obviously as they got older got more introspective and got more mature and I mean, when, you, when you listen to like the, just the opening notes of of neon ballroom like that mm-hmm. first song it's like this is not the same band and there are moments on that record that do harken back to the first two but that maturity and growth I don't think could even could happen the same way today as it did back then because of just how they were able to come up through for sure and I, and to know, be honest with you I don't I don't think that a band you know that, like that was you know like you said twice their age uh, in the, you know that you know Pearl Jam Green Day Weezer like I'm just taking a giant catch-all bands mm-hmm. um, I don't know that they could evolve the way that silver chair evolved i mean like sure. i mean we can have a have a long conversation about the way that, that pearl jam evolved and and we could save that for another podcast but um but, <laughs> please, I, but generally please. speaking generally speaking you know if you're like you know 28 29 30 you know mid 30s like you're a for, fully formed individual you've got your taste you understand what you're as a songwriter you know sort of know what you're trying to accomplish mm-hmm. um I don't, I don't think there's as much um room like unless you're really sort of out there and pursuing it yourself which uh, there's a lot of artists that do that obviously um but i think that there's a lot more sort of natural inertia you know as as a 17 year old in terms of developing and figuring out where you're going to go and what you're going to do and um, am i going to turn you know from a you know just a a, a bashy thrashy frog stomp record into you know a neon ballroom which is littered with orchestral you know, uh, influence and you sure. know, it sounds like it could, you know, just really ambitious stuff. Well, yeah. And then, and also to go from like, uh, you know, from, from that and all, all this to your point, lush or, or orchestral, just huge, like wall of sound kind of shit right into mm-hmm. like Anthem, which is, yeah. I mean, th- th- it's the biggest Anthem they ever wrote. And it's just to have those back to back and then that followed with the ballad. And like, it's just, they knew how to balance records, whether it was their A&R guy or team, or it was mm-hmm. them, you know, steering the ship at that point. I really don't know, but it's bold. I can't imagine having yeah. the success they had at that age. I mean, if I got 20 well, it's bucks, you know, I'd be stoked. Yeah. I mean, it's like based on some just cursory research I was doing, I was trying to sort of re-familiarize myself a little bit with the, with the band's history, mm-hmm. just to come into this conversation. And um, their A&R that originally signed them, you know, quit after the first record and started managing them. So, you know, oh. it's like, I, I, I can't say definitively, but it sounds as though, you know, he probably had a pretty good handle on what he thought that band needed to be. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, in the management position was able to direct that a little bit more effectively than he would have been able to as A&R. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, cause there's obviously some songs on the, on the first record specifically where you're like, mm, that's the riff for sweet leaf or like, right. where it's like, wait, yeah. Hey, Hey, more power to you. You're a child. Like I thought when yeah. I was a kid that um, I could take the B sides from the lithium um, single. I'm like, no mm. one's ever heard been a son. I could write a song around this and take the lyrics. Yeah, <sighs> man, that is, I'm lucky <laughs> that never got recorded. That must've been terrible, nice. but, but, but like, you just don't know. And, and it's, uh, you know, it's crazy. Like a band like Silverchair and another band like Trivium, whether you like Trivium or not, they, they I, my fandom kind of fallen off for them. I think in a similar way, I was wowed by them being, mm. I mean, I was older. I was probably 22 when they were like 15 or 16, but you go see them live yeah. and it's like, well, fuck, I can't do that. Like, yeah. I can't, I can't do yeah. this. They're, they're doing this at such a level that I can't do it. And then Silverchair in a similar way where it's like, they're up there, you know, in some ways early on replicating Nirvana, Soundgarden, Pearl. I, mm-hmm. I would have done the same thing if I was old enough at that time to do it. And, and it if was, you were good enough to do it. 
like well, you know right, what I mean? like, like, like right. you can you can you can be a Nirvana Pearl Jam Soundgarden ripoff band and suck There's... or you can be a, you can be a band that sort of takes those influences and winds up being sort of like a, a you know a world class songwriter who's continued to do that for the rest of his life you know like totally. I mean yeah where's Serial Joe where where is Serial Joe right now can somebody tell me where do, do you know who Serial Joe is 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 it Cotton Eye Joe oh no okay this is, <laughs> this is a dead reference for okay never mind that's a it's like a Canadian teen rock band that came up around the same time and, oh uh I mean no disrespect to those guys I just don't they, <laughs> they didn't turn into silver chair let's just say that I mean well th- that's just it like if you I need to look this up but, but I will go back and do that when when I'm we may need to cut this from the podcast but no yeah. we, no we will maybe, maybe. Um, <laughs> but I I um I always I think I don't know if it's testament to my taste or lack thereof but my favorite three of my four favorite bands are probably in the modern era the most ripped off and most poorly ripped off bands Mm-hmm. since zeppelin sabbath so yeah. it's you know, faith no more alice in chains pearl jam when you think of the bands that have ripped those bands off and no one does it well they always yeah. do it poorly and yeah. yeah i mean i guess you know silver chair was almost that next step like silver chair bush uh you know and even down to like the gin blossoms that, like there was so much good music at this time i try to tell people that are a little younger than us like i don't think you understand how good we had it like we were yeah that's the last era of that. That won't happen yeah. again. And even yeah. the bad bands were, you know, in hindsight, decent. Yep. You know, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, they, they, they usually at least had a hit. So at, at least a hit. Right. And we weren't worried about new music Friday. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. So, okay. So you touched on this before. So neon ballroom, you feel is their most complete work or their, their, their best album. Is that your favorite album as well? Um, I think it's the most complete one. I think it's the most uh, sort of fully realized of, of what I believe Silverchair sort of really is. I think that I will always have a softer spot for Freak Show, mm-hmm. um, the second record. Um, because, I mean, I think, you know, I sort of came into, you know, came into Frog Stomp a little later, um, you know, sort of like 95, 96, I've got a, a, I think a promotional cassette tape with like two or three songs on it from Sam the Record Man uh, at the Oakville Place Mall. And they were given that, away. Yeah, Sorry, that, that, that's a Canadian reference that I do get. So I'm just putting yeah, that yeah. out there. So um, I, I went in and bought some other some other tape, some of the cassette, and they threw this in as a promotional thing. And I went took it home and listened to it. And I was like, holy shit, this is, this is a thing. Um, you know, eventually sort of started to see it all over much music. Like, you, like now knowing what I know in, in the business that, I, that I'm in, I can see the, the promotional machine at work. You right, know, that I was right. like, I got the tape and then I saw it on TV and now I'm a fan. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so like, so I think like Frog Stomp really sort of got me into it, but I think I like, I had these really sort of um, distinct visceral kind of memories of hearing um abuse me on the radio and like getting the guitar mag because I wanted to figure out how the uh do 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 like the, mm-hmm. that that first like intro riff or whatever and like how like how punishing slave and freak are you know like I remember I was on tour with Bonin um working with them a couple of years ago and we were on tour with under oath and he's legend and one of the guys from he is legend would sound check slave every every day you'd walk out burn and, 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 uh-uh. and, oh, no sorry no that's freak you you walk yeah. out every day and, and go dan 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 
like it was like super super heavy and i could sort of see like oh like i can sort of see the things that i am into now like in some of the influence of what they were doing back then um but yeah i think freak show for me like you know that and like all of a sudden there was a song like cemetery mm-hmm. you know and like there's just this like that was really the drop. beautiful mm-hmm. that was like a beautiful acoustic song that like you know it's it's daniel's voice which is the piece that keeps it consistent the whole way through and it didn't feel out of place next to these you know these bangers and you know these dark bangers and uh yeah i don't know i think that record really did something for me it was the first concert that i ever went to by myself was uh that you know that freak show tour um the well, record came out yeah i was gonna say no, that, 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 that that's a special thing too like going to a show by yourself especially at that age it could be like yeah. a that could be a mind fuck. It's like, I, I, I was starting to go to shows alone at that, that age too, because I got into some weird shit and not everybody mm-hmm. wanted to go to that. And you know, now yeah. my, my parents don't want to take me and my friends aren't, aren't into what I'm, I'm liking. So it's like, that's an intimidating moment. So for you to do yeah. that. And I think what that does, at least for me was got me completely and utterly immersed in the performance. There's no distraction. It's just you and the band. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm 15 years old, grade 10. Um, mm-hmm. the record had come out two weeks earlier and like I'd heard it on the radio and like you'd had all that sort of like you know mid 90s pre-release you know singles sort of build up to the record coming mm-hmm. remember when a record meant something <laughs> when it the record fuck, would drop it meant be- everything yeah <laughs> so that's this record drops and my my my, my best friend um, in high school ran and, and I uh, her mom dropped us off and we went into the Arrow Hall in Toronto 6,000 people um, you know they were playing with local H was the opener um wow and it was like it was incredible it was like that may have been the moment where i decided what i wanted to do with my life you know like i i I don't remember having that that thought at at the time but now that i'm looking back and just being like i wanted i need to do more of this like that was like my first real big concert by myself you know got dropped off and picked up but still like (laughs) wasn't like somebody who's sort of over my shoulder and yeah and so it was like it was it's a real like it's a real sort of uh you know, vivid memory of, of that record instead of being it being sort of invested in that record. At the same time, um, two weeks earlier, I don't know why I was sort of looking back at the dates and, you know, they did a lot of their early record um, promo in Canada. Like it always seemed like, you know, within the first two weeks of the record coming out, they were doing some sort of promo or, uh, or record thing here. And they did a much music intimate and, and interactive, which is sort of like an MTV unplugged, but it's, oh. it's full band, full full performance and it was an hour long they did you know most of the songs from freak show and then a bunch of the hits from dog stomp and it was like again just like the kids in the crowd you can watch it on youtube if you go to youtube and look up silver chair intimate and interactive you can watch a whole show of theirs broadcast on canadian television from 1997 and it was like again just like a bit it felt like a movement like all these kids look yeah. like me all these kids are my same age that's you it know? that's it and that, the that... songs are great that just you just nailed it that was it it's like it was music at that time and i'm sure there's the kids feel you know there are kids that feel this way about an artist like billy eilish and now olivia rodrigo and like these artists they're sure. like oh my god this artist is my age like we, we could be friends like this is this could be mm-hmm. real we felt at that time such a connection to these bands because coming out of the late 80s and even into 1990 which is like a lost year that i think a lot of people forget was like truly horrific for fashion music it's a bad i mean there's some good shit but a pretty piss poor year and when 91 hit you start seeing these bands up there and it's like 
that's the guy at the gas station or like i could yeah. be that like in a few years like if we start a band we could be that we dress like that yeah. they look like me and then you go to the show and it's everybody and i'm not speaking about sex age you know race any of that regardless of all that everybody around you looks like you in that moment and i think yeah. you know a band like silver chair i never really thought about it until this conversation where it's like it was it almost felt attainable totally that's and i think i think you hit the nail on the head that's what i'm sort of that's probably what i've been trying to say <laughs> this whole time is that it felt it felt attainable like that's that's what it was whether it was you know age or you know like it yeah it just it it, it was something that we you know, we definitely felt was, you know, was ours and it may not necessarily have lasted as long as some of these other things that I've sort of carried forward in my life and whatever. But um, at the time it was, you know, it was everything. Yeah. But those, those records that are bands like this for, for you or for an individual, they just never sound different. You always go back mm -hmm. to it and it always just feels warm and it just feels the same. It's like as, as everything moves it does. so I quickly think, now, you know? Yeah. Just, I think the interesting thing though, is like you go back and you listen to these records from that era and, you know, some of them are, you know, like some of them don't necessarily hold up. You're kind of like, this was like a bit of a time capsule moment. Yep, <laughs> like yep, yeah. I, I still like, I, I still have nostalgia for it, but it's like, I don't necessarily, you know, I wouldn't argue that it holds up. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a couple of them where it's like, it definitely holds up. And there's a couple of them that you actually go back and you have a much different appreciation for it. It may actually be better than you were, than you originally remember mm -hmm. it being. And like, for me, you know, I, like I said, I, I was sort of like, I think neon ballroom was, you know, looking back with a bit of a better context and perspective. Um, I have a much better appreciation for what that record is than maybe I did at the time, even though I still loved it at the time, but like, I, I appreciate it on a different level. The other record that did that for me just completely off topic mm -hmm. is the blind melon record. The first, first blind one. melon record, the first one. I should like, go back the, to it. The playing on that record mm -hmm. is unbelievable. And like, you know, Shannon's voice and the lyrics and everything. like it was, that was one of the ones where I listened to it, you know, as a, as a kid in grade six. And I liked it because it, you know, there was the bubble bee girl and it was like a catchy sort of fun record. Yeah. I came back to it as an adult and I was kind of like, holy shit, this is, there's more to it here. You're the third person this week to tell me to go back to that record randomly. It's only Thursday. Yeah. It's um, yeah. I had, um, Alina, who is um, for the listeners, was the guest in the Nine Inch Nails episode. She she works with me in my current role before I before I bounce. And uh, Ian, obviously, you know her as well. And mm -hmm. she was like, "Dude, I'm listening to this record, and it's you know for the first time in ten years, and it's blowing yeah. my mind." And I and at that moment, yeah. I don't know why I did, I never think about No Rain. I always think about Tones of Home. And totally. yep. that song is so fucking good. And it's funny because, and I'm not trying to be that. I'm so, I'm too old to be that guy where like, oh, I like the record that nobody likes, but I really do yeah. like Soup. So I actually yeah. go back to that record before it's totally. darker. It's darker. And that's, mm -hmm. he was going further down his, you know, his rabbit hole or whatever, however you want to call it. But yeah, dude, those, these records, they, I, I'm going to go back to it. I'm going to add it and go back to it. Sure. Yeah. I just, I think it's, you know, like I said, there's there's ones that don't hold up. There's ones that you, that do hold up, and there's ones that are better. And I think I think Neon Ballroom is one that for me is better in yeah. in retrospect in hindsight. I was on a walk today, and I was I'd already made it because I was going chronologically throughout the day, and I'd made it to, to Diorama, and I went back to do the second half of Freak Show over again because I think, and I pulled it up just so I have it right in front of me. So to go from like pop song for us rejects all the way to the closing, I did mm -hmm. that three times today just because yeah. the second half of that record which i had as a tape as a kid so the second side yeah. of that fucking tape 
yeah. legitimately blew my mind today. Yeah. I like it, it just so I can't believe how heavy they were. And I don't yeah. know why I'm so mad at myself because I don't know why like, like no I mean, association, no association as like, like there's, there's a bunch that, of them on there where it's just like, brutal. if you don't, he, yeah, just, you know, if there, there are like, you know, there are super aggressive bands that would have killed to write something that tough, you know? Well, that's it. Right. Like I was obsessed with that at this, I'm thinking 97. I'm, I'm at my peak obsession for victory records like peak so it's yeah. like oh, snapcase strife earth crisis i mean all the way down to like donuts and you know another victor i am in this is heavier yeah. than half that shit i'll learn to hate roses mm-hmm. like roses yeah yeah i was yeah. like but i'm on the walk i'm sure that like i walk through a very um i live in k-town and i live next to the richest zip code in all of LA. So my, just by, you know, it's just like, I live in a not so great area, but I live next to a very nice area. And that's where I do right. all my walking. Cause it's, well, it's fucking nice. <laughs> and yeah, and sure. I'm, they might, the people around that neighborhood must thought I was fucking nuts today. Like I was just, yeah. I was having the best time. And I'm like, there's yeah. that, there's that break where it's like, I'm mad at myself that I feel like for the last 24 years, I've let this slip through my fingers. But at, yeah. the, at the other side of it, I'm stoked because now I'm, I'm like redigesting it and it feels yeah. new all over again. You know, it's interesting. Um, now that I think back on it, it's not something that I'd necessarily put together immediately, but um, the idea of, experiencing a record as a cassette or as a you know as an lp if you want to go back that far the, the idea of like a side a and a side b mm-hmm. and the flip um and like those sort of like there are you know there are sides of records in my brain where i'm kind of like like or albums where there's two sides and they're, they're very distinct sides oh I think yeah this, like for, for the first two for frog stomp and for freak show i think both of the side b's are tangibly different than side a and totally. you know like and, and like, I'm not sure if the artist was really sort of taking that into consideration when they were sequencing. I, mm-hmm. I assume they probably were the same way that we you know, worry about sequencing these days for, you know, for to, waterfalling <laughs> to figure out some of the tips to, for, to, to address some other strategy. Sure. Um, but yeah, I think that like, I think that's part of it. I think by the time um, Neon Ballroom came out, I think I bought that one on CD. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think that I bought that one on, on, on tape and, and, same. and experienced it the same way but frog stomp and freak show both i believe were were cassettes and i think you're right like side a and side b you know side b on freak show is you know a pretty punishing experience it, it is and i think you know to circle back to where it all started i think well for you and for me in a lot of ways with 10 with pearl jams 10 there is no doubt in my mind they wrote records and to this day i still feel write records for a side a and a side b there's no way that you start side b with oceans and don't know what you're doing yeah so i fair enough and and there is and to your point yeah the modern version of that is like cool how do we do this to keep people how do we keep their attention span so yeah we don't have a passive list all it's just it's so analytical now and and, and i think a lot of that you know we we don't need to go into how much of the passion i feel um you know from the fan side is lost because you're not listening to a full body of work and like you know for me like with one of your artists and obviously a friend and with jj wild like listening to the wild ep it was like it felt so cohesive and it felt Mm -hmm. so well thought out and I miss that. I think in that kind of music, because in the kind of stuff that like we came up in, the records come and gone in 22, 23 minutes. Like you listen to like an old Cancer Bats record, an old Snapcase record, and it's like it just kicks your ass and then it's done. But yeah, I mean, except for like later era stuff where they got more Deftonesy. But um, sure. 
which I love, but I think it's just, I love that art, that art of like, mm-hmm. you, who knows how long it took them to sit down and sequence it and to be like, no, this song belongs here. They weren't thinking about statistics and data. It was about how does you know what? this we, we sort of We sort of went through that with BMG with, um, with the Glorious Sons record, um, mm. War on Everything. I know it's a, it was a 12 song record, um, not to, to tangent onto something person something personal here no, but, but it, this it, is really so back. interesting it's 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 a 12 it was a 12 song record and then brett wanted to add two songs and we're like a 14 song record in 2019 like <laughs> you're gonna really have to work to keep people's attention um and that record is a, those two songs the addition of those two songs which um for those of you playing at home were wild eyes and a funny thing happened the way that those tied the sequencing together because it was originally 12 songs and when they, we, we extended it out where we put those where, where Brett put those songs, where the band put those songs. Let me say that again, where the band put those songs um, is, was very strategic and it made a 14 song record absolutely flow in a way that like, in the way that you're talking about, like that sort of experience of like, you know, I'm going to have to invest 45, 50 minutes in this record. And yeah. like, it was a, it, it, it was, you know, meticulous and strategic and, and it was successful in that way. That's, I mean, look, that speaks to me. Obviously, you know, I love that record. And I thought that record specifically ended on, with Pink Motel. Like you, the art of the last track to me is a make mm-hmm. it or break it. And it's like, it's like for me as, as a drummer, the snare sound is a make it or break it for me. And, sure. um, but the last track, and I think that's what I noticed a lot about about coming back to these silver chair records specifically for steam will rise that mm-hmm. the way that record ends, it's just this, like you, you need the come down and yeah. you know, there's certain records throughout the years where I think in the heavier side of things or certain bands just went balls to the wall. Like I, I always think of um, tear from the red poison the well, where the record kind of did start, they started getting abstract a bit on that record. And mm-hmm. then to end with Crystal Lake, which is like the banger of all poison the well bangers. Fuck right. yeah. But when you're dealing with yeah. a, with a band like this sons, Pearl jam, silver chair, you, you almost need that like release, you know, no, yep. no you know, pun intended. <laughs> pun intended. <laughs> no, but you, but you do, I really did not intend that. Um, yeah. But, but you, but you need that. And I think that to me is like how you bookend a record is that like you yeah. wrap it up with a nice bow or a fade out or something where it's just like, it's that giant wave that crashed down the records over and you either flip the side back over and go again. Or, Start again. Yeah. Yeah. And like, look, it's not to get too far off either, but it was like, it's, it was a whole ritual. Like listening to a record mm-hmm. or a tape, it was a ritual. You lay on the floor, yeah. you had your huge can headphones on. Like if you're into it, you smoke a joint, you have a glass of whiskey, you, you eat a burrito, mm-hmm. you do whatever. But like it was, there was a ritual to it. And now it's just like, how do we get passive listeners to give a fuck? And yeah. that is the daily, hourly, minute by minute <laughs> challenge for all of us. Like, no, this is really yeah. fucking good. You have to listen yeah. to this, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. So, um, so, okay. So what song in the canon of silver chair do you feel is the one that you just do not connect with is the one that you just, it's a skip. It's something that you, maybe there's a lyric Ooh. you don't like, where, where is that? Where is that for you? This may take a second. We just like, cause <laughs> it's all like, good. I'm just, I'm trying to think like, that's not, that's not the question I was, I was expecting. So, <laughs> um, you know what, in a, in a, this is like, you know, there's probably songs on 
like in the canon here that I that I don't love. I'm gonna say like the one that sort of like you know I would probably skip on freak shows probably lie to me, which is weird because mm-hmm. it's like a punk rock banger thrasher, and that's sort of the world that I landed up in. But it just doesn't really, you know, it's it's like it's a little too sort of juvenile for me. Sure. Um, I think the one that sort of sticks out for me a little bit and probably an unpopular opinion among Silverchair fans is probably um, Anthem for the year 2000. I think it like, I appreciate what it is. It, it's not one that I would actively skip, but it feels, you know, maybe it's just cause it's in the title or whatever. Maybe it's cause I was, you know, like I said, sort of growing up in that time. And it's, you know, not always a time that I really want to go back and think about, yeah, but like sure. it's such a, t- that, that, that's such a time capsule sort of like, you know, like, it's it to me it's tough to be timeless when you've literally time stamped your song oh <laughs> you know i was thinking just that today listening to it i'm like wow like one that was 21 years ago which is enough yeah. and 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 right 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 technically 22 because what you know night it came out in 99 and then i'm listening to it and i'm like Oh my God! Like the like the one the record doesn't sound dated at all. Not at all. There's yeah. not an ounce yeah. of it. Could have it could have come out yesterday. They could tour with Chevelle. Like it's it literally doesn't yeah. sound. And, dated. I mean, the, the 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 guitar riff is sick. Like like there's yep. like there's not again. There's like it's not unpleasant to listen to. It just like thematically feels like you know something that I like. I it just feels sort of stuck in a particular time capsule that I you know, I don't necessarily always want to go back to. I wonder, you know, and again, I'm projecting, this is just, you know, being in a public forum and projecting my own thoughts is always a unique situation. But I, I always wondered if that song was the record label being like, Hey, oh, I, like it has to have, <laughs> Hey, yeah, like, the- <laughs> like they hear the record that wasn't on it. They're like, mm, we don't hear a hit and or we don't hear the anthem and to me that felt like oh you don't hear an anthem well check this shit out and that's just what it felt like to me especially because in the states and all the numbers in front of me frog stomp was just i mean sales wise popularity it couldn't have gotten any bigger and then i think when they moved to freak show it did have its hits and was very successful but there is that's where the great divide happens i think from record two to three and it, it, it I'm sure for a lot of bands, but yeah. Yeah. No, no. I mean, look, yeah. you know, Pearl Jam is the, the biggest example. They've done it. I think five times over. Like how do we get rid of these fucking Fairweather fans? What do we do? Oh, yeah. I, we, we wrote no code. Here you go. It's like, which is one of my favorites. I, listen, I listened to that. A co- I, I listened to that a couple of weeks ago, like, and thought of you the whole time. And it was kind of like, <laughs> I, 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 that was probably, I mean, I got into yield a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely had it and I, I went to see them play live a bunch of times on that, like in that era. Um, but no code, I listened to again and like, I appreciate it, but I, like, I really had to power through it. Like I really had to like, I'm going to finish this record. Oh man. See, like that was me originally. And then I, I had come back to it years later when I, I got together with my wife and we started dating. She's like, what are you doing, man? Like the, these, this is where it gets good. And yeah. now that middle part, that's, that's me. That's my sweet spot. Like from no code to riot act, that's where see, I, I live. I- I think for me that like that flip um, happened at a time where I was like half of my brain real like di- discovered Neil Young probably in no like probably that's not, probably not a coincidence that sure. like I really sort of discovered Neil Young in that era of Pearl Jam right um, and so I like I really sort of went off in like the Neil Young crazy horse on one side of my brain and like I was into like the punk and hardcore stuff on the other side mm-hmm. and it was just like so like Pearl Jam was sort of like 
a, not, not the perfect blend of that that I that would have hoped it would have been. So I was like, sort of right, fell on right. one side or the other. I get it. I totally get it. I get, I, I wasn't a Jack Irons fan. I mean, like we could talk about this for hours, but yeah, it, it took, yeah. It's, it took me to get it probably like five or six years after it had been out for me to come back to it and then, sure. then obsess over it for like the next rest of my life. <laughs> it's yeah. like, I, I just, maybe, but, maybe it's one of those ones that ages better and I should go back and take a listen to it as we talked about before. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, I did a couple yeah. weeks ago. Maybe I mean, you need to focus harder on it. To me, that one's binaural, but that's again in a whole other tangent. So, yeah. um, so this is oh man, I am stoked to talk. We, I think we talked about talking about this. So, I, you know, sometimes I like to ask, like, hey, have you met the band as a change of perception on who they are? You and I have a unique situation here where we've we worked for a number of years with Daniel Johns's brother who yes. heads up the BMG Australia office. Heath, I'm gonna make you listen to this, and um. <laughs> The sweetest guy and super smart. And what's embarrassing to me is this is the second time this has happened to me where I've worked with somebody who's a sibling of a musician of stature in our world and not realized it for a good amount of time. Can, like, you, can you tell me who the first one was? Oh, absolutely. It was Justin Chancellor's brother. Like um, right. I was working with Jim, who um, is a Polydor in the UK and worked with Jim on and off 15 years. Finally right. got to meet him. And he walks into the office, shockingly good looking, like mm. silver fox, 50-ish, like very handsome dude. And he walks in. I'm like, sure. fuck, this guy looks just like Justin Chancellor from Tool. God damn it. That's your brother. <laughs> and like, we had a laugh. And I, I think that he appreciated that, like, it was no big deal. But sure. You know, I don't know, like, is John's a common name in Australia? <laughs> like, probably. To be I'll be honest with you. Um, the first time I saw his name associated to australia mm -hmm. um it, it, when we started working with bmg um i had a conversation with jason about it right away and we, we figured it out real quick <laughs> it's just, like what are the chances yeah but here we are yeah. right right so I, I think it's moments like that that um where i like just take a, a step back i know it's not special it's nothing special right but i think it's it, for me as like i go back to being that that young fan again being like I'm, you know, it's just normal to work with so-and-so's brother. And like, it just, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't get starstruck. It, it, I've, I've worked, I've been fortunate enough to work with mostly or all the bands I've ever wanted to work with in some capacity. But those right. are the moments, the ones like the yeah. human moments where it's like, this is just weird. My life is just weird. Yeah. I think, I mean, it, it was sort of strange. I, I, I met Heath. Um, I, I, we, I went, I went, sorry, I met Heath and went down to Australia with the, uh, with the Glory Suns guys. And, um, you know, I've, I've, I've been in those kinds of situations before where it's like, sorry, can you hear the dog? Yeah, but it's, sorry, I've, 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 I've had, tapping away. I've had many dogs on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <It's a fault. laughs> where are you going? You going upstairs? Or I'll come find you later. Go ahead. Um, sorry. So we went to, went to Australia with the guys, with the, with the Glory Suns guys and met Heath. And it's one of those situations where it's like, it's, it, I mean, he probably has to have that conversation like more often than I could even, you know, count, especially with the, how big that band is. I, think I was, again, research. I was like the most ARIA awards of any artist in Australia's really? history, 21 ARIA awards. Yeah. Holy like, so like, shit. Just, like we're talking about like, they're big here, but they're fucking massive in Australia. Right. And so the idea that like, you know, he would have the John's name and, um, you know, be working in music. Like I'm sure he has to have these conversations all the time. And, at the same time, like this is a seminal band for me, 
and I've got an opportunity to like yeah. maybe have a bit of like an intimate conversation with the, with the guy. So it was like, I, I don't remember when or how we had that conversation, but it sort of, you know, came up naturally at some point. We sort of talked through it. And then probably one of the more embarrassing things that I've ever done. Um, so in the BMG Australia office, uh, they just finished a, a reno there. Um, but back in a couple of years ago, they were, they were still, they're, they're still working through it. Um, but it was a beautiful office at the time. And I have this, <laughs> Uh, it's going to sound like I like I did it on purpose and I swear to God, I did not. But like whenever I pick up an acoustic guitar, the first thing that I go to is the opening riff from Pure Massacre. Like, mm-hmm. it's just, it's just like, it's just like a very simple. And like, and they had a guitar out and I just like sat on the couch and I wasn't even paying attention to what I was doing. I started like noodling that and all of a sudden, like I said, my eyes sort of like I turned my head and I locked eyes with Keith. He's looking at me from his office and he just started oh, laughing. Oh my God. And I was like, he thinks that I <laughs> definitely did this on purpose to get everybody's attention when it's just like, I get, it was, it's like, it's a, just a reflex when I pick up a guitar. Yeah. It's a, one of the first ones that I go to. And uh, he still talks to me. So I, I, right. I guess I didn't embarrass myself too badly, but he thinks That's... he was. And thank you for letting me get away with that. Yeah, and and, and that, that that story sounds pretty true. <laughs> it's, yeah. No, that, that's, yeah. But look, I mean, I, I get it. It's almost like a tick. Like I do the same thing. I'll pick up a guitar no matter what I do. It's like I'm playing some sort of like helmet riff and I don't even think about it. Yeah. And it's like, I never yeah. want to be in a room with Paige and be like, <laughs> I'm going to put this yeah, down but I mean, he, he told crazy stories. And I got like, I mean, you may have him on a podcast at some point, so I don't need to tell his stories for him because this is his life. But, you know, he was saying, he's talking about being a 13 year old kid going on global tours with his parents and his brother, you know, like, like what kind of 13 year old gets to tour the world watching his like, not that much older right. you know, brother playing in front of thousands of people around the world. And like, how does he end up being the president of, uh, of BMG in, in, you know, in Australia or you know, have this illustrious career in music. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, it's, he got a really crazy start as a, you know, as a 13, it's, it's the only life he's ever really known. I would assume. I mean, that's, um, but yeah. Th- and that choice too, I think, you know, you, you brought it up earlier, like, you know, this is what I want to do. And it's like, you've done it. I've, I played in bands minimally, but you, you've, you've done both. And, and then, but that, that decision, that conscious decision to be like, I want to see how the sausage is made. I want to, I want to work mm-hmm. on this side of it where, you know, say seven times out of 10, there's more longevity than the other side. Um, Sure. But yeah, I mean, what, what a, what a crazy, what a crazy thing. You're right to have this like icon um, on one side of the, of the business and then your younger brother be, you know, I'm sure iconic in his own way on the other side of the business Oh yeah. and and working with Heath. I mean, not that we need to make this a Heath podcast has just been awesome. Like you, you just, you, you can see the creative, that creativity runs in that family when you, you see how like his, his brain works and Mm -hmm. that that kind of shit, just super interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Hi Heath. Yeah. Hi Heath. How you doing? (laughs) Um, So how many times have you seen them live over the years? Only two that I can recall. Um, so that was that first time in um, on the Freak Show tour with Local H. That was the first show that I ever went to. And then I um, was doing some research because I was trying to remind myself how many times I'd seen them. And the other one was at the Warehouse in Toronto, which turned into the Cool House, which is now turned into Condos. Um, and that was on sure. the, the Neon Ballroom tour with Lit. Actually, oh my god! So Lit was opening. Let me just let me just read you something from the research that I was doing earlier. Um, I love that you did so that this. Sh- it makes my day. Yeah. So, so that show, <laughs> so, so Neon Ballroom came out March 8th, 1999. Um, as I said, you know, two weeks later, they're in Toronto playing. Mm-hmm. Um, so March 20th, 1999, the warehouse with lit. 
And um, chairpage.com is like sort of the, the band's website. And there's like a crazy archive of press and all these kinds of things. And I was going through it and I found this sort of like pseudo blog post. Um, and I didn't read much of it, but I was just trying to figure out who the opener was. Mm-hmm. And this is the, uh, this is the quote that I, that I wanted to, to share with you. Um, uh, where are we here? Lit came on. Um, sorry, sorry. Before Lit came on, Rob Zombie's Hellbilly Deluxe was played on the PA, <laughs> which was cool since I just saw him with Corn on Monday, which is the most 1999 sentence I think I could ever, ever imagine. We've got Lit in there. We've got Rob Zombie's Hellbilly Deluxe, and we've got Corn in one sentence. Oh my God. I, I, That's um, 1999 encapsulated. I can even, one, this is amazing. Thank you for that. That just brought me back. When I was in college in Jacksonville, I worked the Ticketmaster station at this head shop at Jack's Beach. And so we would always pull our tickets first for like, we were front row to whatever we wanted, like hockey games, yeah. whatever. We have a local IHL team, the uh, Lizard Kings, something terrible. Anyway, yeah. must have been, been a Doors fan somewhere in Jacksonville. So yeah. Um, <laughs> That's who or, or a Simpsons fan or right. Or that probably <laughs> at that I'm time. Loser queen. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Oh God. That episode's so good. So, um, but I went to that show that he just referred to at the Jacksonville Coliseum, whatever the fuck hell hole it was in that town, Rob zombie corn and ultra spank was the owner. Well, it was the opener. And I remember, being so excited to see them because I interviewed them for my college radio station and they were dicks. And I was so excited. I'm like, I hope they fucking suck. And they, they, you know, they suck. They're terrible. But the show was, wow, that is a sign of the times right there. Yeah. Yeah. It wow. was, uh, I mean, no, like no shade on lit. I mean, like, I, I, I don't know if anybody else listening to this podcast ever flips over to lithium, but they get played every other song on, on, oh on series XM lithium. Um, all, all I think about is that guy is like two foot long goatee from the, ugh, I mean, it's, it's just, it's, they, they had two hits and I'm, I'm proud of them and happy for them. Yeah. You get, I mean, look, as we all know now that one of the hot, I mean, at least I am obsessed with talking about this. One of the biggest songs of the year on TikTok right now is Hoobastank's The Reason. And oh, wow. I, I um, Lit will have their moment. I know it. I feel yeah. it. I mean, I'm not yeah. even joking. Like the fact that Billy Joel had it about six months ago for scenes from an Italian restaurant. Mm-hmm. I was like, like it could ha- and i love billy joel so this is not a, a sh- this is not shade i love billy joel but like yeah tiktok is just the great equalizer in 2021 oh, it's crazy <laughs> there's uh you know you never know what's gonna just pop up and rekindle something seriously or ignite, or ignite something for the first time should we pool our money and, and just make sure that silver chair has their has their moment on TikTok, so that, there's a question. Like, what uh, what Still Richer song is the most TikTokable song? Ooh, hmm. Oh, oh my God! I don't hold on a second because I was. I mean, I'm like deep into Diorama right now, but I think as far as TikTok goes, whew, tomorrow probably, maybe, yeah, maybe. I, I, I honestly, it would probably be Anthem. I, I but I, that's just based on s- Sonic. I, I want to make it across the night just because it's like, I feel like, I feel like it, might be fr- it might be freak because mm. it, it like, it sort of starts and stops so many times. And there's like, there's a lot of switchable moments and, um, you know, the idea of just sort of repeating the words, I'm a freak, I'm a freak over and over oh, again. Yeah. seems like the kind of thing that 
kids could probably get into. You know what? That's um, you definitely had your marketing brain on tonight. That works for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it'd be something off like the disassociatives record or something like that. Oh man, it, like, we talked about the disassociatives record. Yeah, like, I, that was it. one where it was like, I mean, Silverchair ended or not ended, but went on hiatus or whatever. And I was sort of, you know, moving on to other things. But like, th- like that record is so weird and creepy and awesome. Oh, yeah, it is. Like. Like it's, it's not one that I go back to often, but like horror with eyeballs is like uh, that single is just like, it feels like you're like, you're living in a Tim Burton movie. And totally. Totally. Like, and that's like, that's sort of what the vibe of the record is. And I think it's sort of like, you know, it was a bit of a precursor or like indicator of like how, um, like how eccentric and sort of weird Daniel's writing was going to be getting. Absolutely. You know? I and mean, pr- probably why Silverchair wasn't going to work anymore because like, sure. we've got Tim Burton land, you know, and, and uh, like, yeah. I don't know that it necessarily would have worked for Silverchair. I mean, tried again on, on Young Modern. And, you know, again, that record did surprisingly well in Australia based on my research. Um, but uh, yeah, it just, it was, it was such a weird, unique sort of like, you know, I was used to two guitars, bass, drums, or like, you know, somebody rapping like over a, like, this is right. such a different different construction of music it felt my friend lydia who did the metallica episode she let me borrow that because i had no idea it even came out and she let me borrow the cd mm-hmm. and i remember i just like sat in my car listening to it like what the actual fuck and i love weird yeah. shit i love mr bungle and you know but like yeah. I, I it, it it's held up it, there's definitely some gems on there but it, it's yeah but you know i was just thinking about um Young Modern, I think that was the only time I'd ever seen them live, actually. They did a three-night stint, two or three nights at the Bowery Ballroom. So I got to mm-hmm. see them on that tour and the show. And I remember not being super into the, the, the new material that much, but man, they fucking crushed that night. It was, yeah. but you could you could see, again, in hindsight, maybe, but I remember being there that night saying, mm, I don't feel that this train's going to keep going for too much longer. Sure, yeah. It just felt, and, it's, I, and it's, it's weird when that's palpable. It, there's, there's a, there's a, I'm not even going to go there. <laughs> there's a, I had a, I've had a, I had a weird experience one time with a, you know, never meet your idols kind of thing. Um, mm. And, and I had that feeling and I, let's just say that it played out <laughs> no, um, no, not that no. long, not that long after. Um, but yeah, it's, it's weird when that's, when that's palpable and you can sort of, you know, for, 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 a, for a band in that, you know, where that energy of the live audience and, you know, the, 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 the reciprocal energy of, you know, playing loud music on stage, you know, was such an important part of what you do. Mm-hmm. If like, if you can feel that that energy is starting to, you know, starting to wane coming from you off stage. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a weird, it's a weird feeling. Yeah. And especially since like when I was living in New York, I probably was hitting four or five shows a week, sometimes if not more for work. And I was working with Interscope at the time. It was just, it was insane. And mm-hmm. when I went to a show that was for me, I really like, I wanted, I wanted to be fully immersed in it. And when you are, but you know, something slightly off, it just, it was kind of, I remember being kind of bummed out, not because the the show was phenomenal. I just remember being a little bit bummed out because you could feel it. You could sense something like, not that the band was, you just sense it like this might have, this might be as far as they can take this. Where do you Mm -hmm. go from here without changing the band almost entirely, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. I feel that. So, um, I always like to end this with the two polar opposite questions. If you've listened before, I'm sure you know what's coming is what is the sexiest song this band has? And then what is the funeral song 
I mean, the it's funeral the song, song. Is probably it's probably Cemetery is the, yeah, is, yep. the, is the funeral song. Yeah. Um, sexiest song. I mean, I don't, I've never really ascribed that uh, that <laughs> term to so much here before. That's why I love I love um, it. It's like I can't wait to do this on like Dream Theater and then have to talk about yeah. this. I mean, probably Miss You Love. Like, oh, that's it, a like, good it's one. Like, it's like a it's a pretty sort of like lovey dovey romantic one. Yeah, it's one of their most be, streamed. This could be a sensual, maybe not sexy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there you uh, go. I mean, a sensitive. I, like, it depends what you're into, I guess. Yeah, right, <laughs> right, right, right. It's like if I if I have to do this again, like on Black Flag, or my friend wants to do Black Flag, and it's like, oh, this is going to be a very strange, strange. Maybe question. it's uh, maybe it's Madman from the instrumental track from Frogstop. <laughs> oh, <laughs> if you're, hey. yeah, yeah, oh yeah. It's gone. funny. Again, with my research here, I didn't realize that they had, that that Sony Australia had put out a, a best of. Uh, which mm. apparently Daniel Johns has disavowed. Um, but on that record, there is a version of Madman with vocals on it. And I think I might change my opinion of which is the worst song, the worst Silvertrack song. I think it might actually be <laughs> Madman with, with vocals. Wait, did I did I just see this is on like, I think a deluxe edition too. I was just looking at this. So hold on. Yeah, it's right there. I didn't get to it. I stopped at Stone. Ooh, and it, it was literally like, the next song. Like that song is like, I remember it was the first, maybe the first time that I, I remember like a, an instrumental track being on a record. I've had, like at first, you know, as a, a 13 year old, I was like, they forgot to put vocals on this. Like, <laughs> like, like somebody fucked up in the manufacturing of this record. Cause they yeah. put a version on that doesn't have, like, it's, it's not an obviously instrumental song. It's just like, it's just parts and riffing and whatever. And it's a pretty like badass song. But then when you hear it with the vocals that apparently were intended, I now understand why they took those vocals off. That's amazing. And I, you know, <laughs> o- over the years of listening to that instrumental song, I've probably written, you know, 45 of my own versions of, of, of vocals on top of that song. And I'm pretty sure all 45 are better than what I've heard on, <laughs> on the books. So kudos to whoever decided to take the lyrics off. That song bangs on its own. It didn't That's need the vocals. Call amazing that's the call ian dude this has been awesome i i'm i'm so excited that we got to do this one to see your face and to talk again because we were talking literally like every hour every day and then like we just haven't been able to and um to talk about a band that you helped me rekindle a love for this band that i i didn't even know i had so thank you so much for that man that this yeah this is i'm glad to hear that it's like you know i think you know i've like listen to the podcast and I've seen the, seen the, the, the bands you've been doing with people. And I'm like, Oh, all the, all the best ones are coming off the board. Like when are we going to get to do this with Rob before? Like, you know, no, no, no. with Mr. Bongle. No. And, um, hey, hey now, no, but like, but here's the thing is that I want to do repeat bands with people. Like I, I like if, if, if somebody a year from now wants to do silver chair, I'm down. My buddy in New York wants to do nine snails. I already did that with Alina, but I'm down to yeah. do that again because that's her experience. She had a, it's a crazy story yeah. about, about, you know, coming here from Russia and, I want to talk to somebody now with a whole different experience, like mm-hmm. maybe, you know, growing up in the Midwest or New York and discover. So like, I hear you though, but yeah, like I, 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 I that was my fear at first. I'm like, I'm going to be sitting here in five years and we're going to be talking about lit so, yeah. <laughs> as the prime. Anyway, yeah. dude, thank you so, so, so much. Um, if you want to follow Ian on socials, please follow him at Ian black box, please listen, like share, subscribe, do all the fun things that you need to do. Ian, thank you, my friend. We will talk to you soon.